Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. We just went back. That was awesome. Loved every second of it. That's right. Somebody knows about that. But uh, friends, welcome to church again. Welcome to the greatest celebration of our year as Christians, the moment that we celebrate above all others because this is the moment where we realize, where we come to understand that the headline of Christianity, the headline of what we believe as Christians, the headline of Easter is simply this. It is not the headline of, here's what you need to do to make sure God likes you. It's not the headline of, um, you just need to be a little bit better of a person, a little nicer, a little less road rage, and just clean up your act a little bit. That's not the headline of Easter. Praise God, somebody. The headline of Easter is not what you need to do for God. The headline of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is look at what God has done for you. That's the good news. Today we get to share good news because all of us, whether we want to admit it or realize it or not, all of us are dealing with something. All of us are facing some form of brokenness and death and pain and suffering in our own lives at one level or another. And friends, we can't fix it on our own. We can't solve the problems that most of us are facing and none of us has figured out how to solve the ultimate problem of sin and death. But God, but Jesus entered into the story. He said, I'm not gonna be distant. I'm not gonna stay away from the pain and suffering of this world. I'm gonna enter into it and redeem it by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. Friends, that is good news and whether you realize it or not, that is what you need today, more than anything else in your life. So I want to start off our time today. I want to open today by way of illustration. And if you have been following the world of technology, you know, at all in the last three, four, five months, really the last year or so, you're aware that some new developments, some new technological innovations have taken the world by storm. And I'm not here today as we get into this to make any ethical or ultimate statements about this new technology or where all this is headed or if we're living in the end times or not or what all this means. But if you're alive on planet Earth, you've probably heard of the new developments around AI, artificial intelligence. Anybody there with me? Okay, chat GPT, ever tried it before? You know, it's changing the game. People are worried, man, I may not have a job in a few years. This thing is pretty smart. You know, you can throw a prompt in there and basically have your term paper written for you. It's wild, right? Now, for better or worse, it's there. It exists. And I thought, man, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give it a little try. So I downloaded this app on my phone that was connected to chat GPT, and I thought, hey, maybe I can find some inspiration. We'll see if, you know, artificial intelligence can write an Easter sermon. <laughs> Let's go. We'll see what happens. So I threw a prompt in there. I said, okay, uh, give me the central ideas and belief, the three, because preachers need three points, the, the three central ideas and beliefs about Easter 
and they all need to start, just for fun, I wanna see how this goes, they all need to start with the letter P. I don't know, I just picked a letter. No particular reason, I wanted to see what would happen. I hit enter, I hit send, and I kid you not, here's what I got in response. Number one, here are the central ideas and beliefs about Easter. Number one, passion. Easter commemorates the passion of Jesus Christ, the central figure of Christianity. The passion of Christ refers to his betrayal, arrest, suffering, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Nailed it. <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, number two, pardon. Passion, pardon. According to Christian beliefs, Jesus' death and resurrection offer pardon for the sins of humanity. This means that through faith in Jesus Christ, believers can be forgiven for their sins and receive eternal life. I'm like, I don't even need to preach this Sunday. I'm just gonna read this to you guys. But then number three came along, and uh, it's peeps. <laughs> peeps are a popular Easter candy made from marshmallows in the shape of chicks and bunnies. They are a fun and central part of the Easter celebration for many people worldwide. I don't know about your job, but... I think mine's secure at least for a little bit longer. <laughs> but let's be real, I, you know, it's never been a better time to put your faith in Jesus because he's the one who pardons you from your sin, he's passionately in love with you, and he's the sovereign creator of peeps for your enjoyment <laughs> this Easter weekend. It was amazing, I, I mean, I just was like, I gotta use that, that's incredible. The three Ps of Easter, there you have it. Um, comedian who does this incredible skit. He is an atheist. His name is Louis C.K. You're probably familiar with him. Not to be confused with C.S. Lewis, who is a strong Christian and an apologist. Um, but in one of his comedy acts, Louis C.K. said this, talking about his atheism, why he doesn't believe in God. He said this. He said, because I do not believe in God, I sure as heck hope there is not a God. Because I don't believe that God exists, I'm really banking on the fact that he doesn't exist. Because here's the deal, he says, if you don't believe in God, you better get on your knees and pray to God that he's not real. Oh God, please don't let there be a God. Please God, please don't be real, don't exist. He says, that's a bad thing to be wrong about. You're an atheist. You reject the reality of God your whole life. You die, and you show up, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Friends, I want to use that to set up where we're heading for Easter today, because we're going to look at Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, from the perspective of one of the most important people in the New Testament, one of the most important figures in the New Testament, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul actually, just like Louis C.K., was a non-believer. He did not believe that Jesus was God. He was a skeptic. He believed in a God, he believed in the God, but he did not believe that Jesus was God who became a man to die for our sins. And at the beginning of Paul's life, he resisted the truth of Jesus. And I think there's so much that we can learn from Paul and why he changed his mind, what happened to him to convince him that not only 
was Jesus alive from the dead, but that he was our only hope of salvation. Near the end of Paul's life, he was arrested for his faith and he was put on trial. And he had to stand before a king and an overseer in the Roman government. And in Acts 26, Paul tells his story. He shares with everyone present, everyone who will listen, what happened to him and why he believes. And I want you to listen to the word of Paul, the words of Paul from Acts 26 this morning. He said this, my manner of life from my youth, the way I've lived, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. It's known by everybody. They have known for a long time if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And if you've read the New Testament at all, you know the Pharisees are the bad guys. Jesus is not a fan of the Pharisees. And Paul was saying, that's who I was. I was a Pharisee. And he says, and following that, he goes, the reason I'm on trial today is I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that he is the promised Messiah of our people. And he says in verse eight, why is it thought incredible? Why do any of you think it's incredible that God raises the dead? Why is this such crazy news to you? He says in verse nine, he says, I myself was convinced that I should do everything in my power to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints, I imprisoned Christians after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were on trial, I voted for them to be put to death. And I punished them in all the synagogues and I tried to make them recant to turn back on their beliefs in Jesus. And in a raging fury against them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. He was not messing around. He did not like the idea of Jesus. He thought Jesus was dangerous and he was going to make it his life mission to convince everyone that Jesus was not God. So what happened? How did he go from persecuting the church, a Pharisee of the strictest party of Jewish religion, to a Christian? What happened? He says this, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus to go arrest Christians. Verse 13, about noon, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Jesus shows up to him. Paul responds, I said, who are you? Lord, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I didn't know I had any issues with you, Jesus. I'm just, you know, attacking your followers. He's like, yeah, those are my people. They're my peeps. <laughs> you like how I did that? We're gonna bring that back in. <laughs> if you're attacking them, if you're killing them, that's the body of Christ. Those are my followers, my family. You're attacking me. It's me you're persecuting. I am the Savior. I am God. And verse 23, 
Paul says this, from that moment I have proclaimed one message, that Christ had to suffer, he had to go to the cross, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim life and light to our people and to the world. He would say, I'm the source of life, eternal life, I'm the only one that overcame death, and I am the light by which you will see truth about your life and all reality, not just to our people, the Jewish people, but for the whole world. Suddenly, Festus, who was one of the overseers who had arrested Paul, he shouted with a loud voice. He said, Paul, you are insane. Your great learning has made you crazy. What are you talking about, Paul? No one rises from the dead. Why would you give up your entire way of life? Why would you be on trial here today? Why would you be at the point of death on the basis of belief that someone came back from the dead? You're crazy, Paul. But Paul replied, I am not insane. Most excellent Festus. It's a kind response in that moment. What I'm saying is the rational truth. Friends, if anyone ever told you that Christianity was just a blind leap of faith, that you can just suspend your thoughts and your reason, you know, and take a leap of faith and believe something that's just unbelievable, that is not the same Christianity that Paul is talking about. He's actually going to appeal to reason, to rational truth. And friends, I don't care if you're in this room, you're an atheist, you're exploring the claims of Christianity, if you're a, a scientist who said, look, I, I'm gonna base my life on facts and evidence and reason. Here's what I know. The most brilliant scientist in the world, the most brilliant physicist and astrologer, the most brilliant minds in the world, if they're intellectually honest, they will admit to you there is only so far you can go with evidence and human learning and understanding of reality before every single human on the planet has to take a leap of faith for whatever they believe. Why? Because you weren't there when the world was created. You can read all the articles you want and all the best evidence on how the universe is working and come up with your ideas of the age of the universe or what happened or if it was a big bang or evolution or if there's a God or not a God, but friends, you weren't there. At some point, we all can rationally look at what we believe and say, I believe this based on these reasons and Paul is saying this, I'm not crazy. Festus, Agrippa, the king, I'm not crazy. The only reason that I would be here today on trial, facing death, scorned by my people, this is not convenient or comfortable for me to believe or say what I'm saying to you. The only reason I would say this, look, I was the number one guy who thought they were crazy too. The only reason I'm here is because I saw him. He's actually alive. And if he's alive, that means everything he said about himself and everything he did is true. I can't deny what I've seen. I can't deny what I've heard. I can't deny what I've experienced. He's alive. And so there's two main points that we're gonna look at, but the title for my message today is simply this. Easter. It's either a bad lie or a life-changing truth. It's either a really bad lie that was made up by superstitious, gullible people who 
we're easily fooled, or it's true. And it's a world-changing, life-changing truth. And so the two things we're gonna look at is this. Number one, what is the evidence? What is the rational reason that Paul is talking about? Number one, the evidence for Easter, and then number two, the experience of Easter. The evidence for Easter and the experience of Easter. Number one, I want you to think about this. So many atheists and critics of Christianity over the years, they've said, of Christianity, they've said, really what Christianity is, this whole idea of the resurrection, believing in the resurrection, is just psychological wish fulfillment. The earliest followers of Jesus, you know, wanted him to be alive. They wanted him to be the Messiah so badly that they just made up a story. They convinced themselves psychologically that he, that he rose from the dead. They just psyched themselves out because they wanted it so badly. They were willing to suspend reason and just believe a crazy story, Right? Here's why that can't be true, okay? I want you to start right here. I want you to think about what Festus said to Paul when he talked about the resurrection of the dead because it can be easy for us as modern, enlightened, intellectual people that know how the world works to look back through the corridor of history and say, well, you know, everybody 2,000 years ago, they just, they were a little primitive, you know, they were easily sucked into crazy theories of people rising from the dead. They were superstitious and they really wanted this to happen. However, that's not true. Festus, who was a Roman governor, when he heard Paul talk about the resurrection, what did he say? You're crazy, Paul. That's an insane thing to believe. He said exactly what you and I would say. The people that lived 2,000 years ago did not believe resurrection could happen. If you came to me and you said, hey, Jonathan, you know your friend who died a week ago and we were at his funeral and it was tragic and it was heartbreaking? Um, I saw him yesterday in town center. I'd be like, you're crazy. You're on crazy pills. You need to go check yourself in somewhere, right? I, they were no different. Here's how we know that they were not gullible, superstitious people. They knew, everyone knew, dead people stay dead. Think about this. The very followers of Jesus, when he got arrested, when he got crucified, what did they do? Were they all standing outside the tomb on the third day, you know, about to sing hymns of praise because he rose from the dead? Were they all outside the tomb on the morning, the dawn of the third day, going 10, 9, 8, so here it comes, 7? No, where were they? They ran, they hid, they fled the scene. Why? It was over. They weren't psyching themselves up to believe that he could come back from the dead. Peter went back to fishing. They denied him, they abandoned him, they all left because, man, when you're crucified on a Roman cross, you don't come back from that. Clearly, he wasn't God, he wasn't Messiah. Friends, if Christianity was just psychological wish fulfillment from the earliest followers and these ancient people, 
then it's a really bad lie because just like you and me, they did not believe resurrection was possible. They had to have seen something that changed their minds. When Jesus died, there were no believers left. In the New Testament, all the writers of the Gospels, they documented their own unbelief. They were like, it's over. It was not psychological wish fulfillment. The second argument that you'll hear from atheists, and this was, this was really pushed by Karl Marx and Nietzsche, is that religion and Christianity in particular was an emotional crutch for the weak and guilty. Just an emotional crutch for people that feel guilty about their life and you know, want some sort of fairy tale forgiveness. Who feel like they need, you know, some sort of deep spiritual help. Karl Marx has famously said, religion, Christianity, it's the opium of the masses. It's, it's just this thing that those in power give to everyone to say, hey, just calm down, you're gonna be okay. Just follow the rules, just calm down. Here's why that can't be true. It's amazing to think about this as you dive into some of these thoughts. It was not an emotional crutch for the weak or the guilty. <laughs> think about Paul. Think about what Paul said in Acts 26. He said, I myself was convinced that I should do everything in my power to oppose the name of Jesus Christ. And I did it everywhere I went. I locked up Christians and I put them to death. Do you think Paul, you know, felt like he needed an emotional crutch or he felt guilty? Paul didn't think, oh my gosh, I need to be saved by Jesus. Paul thought, I need to save the world from Jesus. That dude is dangerous. All the religious leaders in Israel, and after Jesus was arrested and crucified, the reason that no one was left who believed, don't miss this, this is, this is incredible to think about this. The reason they all abandoned him is because what they were looking for was not forgiveness from their sins. They weren't even looking, they didn't believe death was a problem that could be solved. They weren't hoping for that. What they wanted, what they all were looking for Jesus to do is they wanted him to bring vengeance on Rome. They wanted him to deal with the political oppression of their day. They weren't looking for a savior from sin or death. Christianity was not started by people looking for an emotional crutch or looking for some form of, oh, I just need to feel better about myself. No, the people, the first believers were those who were looking simply for vengeance on Rome and a powerful leader to overthrow their oppressive regime. If Christianity was a lie that was designed to be an emotional crutch for the weak and guilty, it doesn't make any sense. It's a bad lie. It's like a three-year-old trying to tell a lie. Any parents in the room? Three-year-olds are awful at telling lies. It's hilarious. I remember when my son was younger, um, you know, when your kids go from that phase, they go from crawling to walking to climbing. It's a dangerous phase. It's a scary phase as a parent. You never know where you're going to find them. And I remember 
you know, one Saturday afternoon, we, we couldn't find Sawyer anywhere. We're looking inside, outside, all over the place, and I'm walking through the kitchen, and I hear some rustling in the pantry, and I open the pantry door, and I look, and I don't see anything, and then I just hear this, like, chomping and smacking, and he's on the top shelf of the pantry just crushing a box of brownies, chocolate brownies. And I looked at him, I said, Sawyer, you eating those brownies? And he goes, no, Dad, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really bad lie. Like, not convincing. You got brownies in your mouth, all over your face, in your teeth. Dad, I didn't eat any brownies. You're on the top shelf of the pantry, bro. <laughs> Friends, if Christianity was a lie made up by people who were trying to psych themselves up into fulfilling a wish or an emotional crutch for those who felt weak and guilty. It's a bad lie because that's not what it was and it's clearly not what it accomplished. The third thing is this and then we're gonna move into the experience of Easter which is the most important part. Some critics of Christianity have said this. They've said, you know, the historical accounts of the gospel and Christianity, they were just post-edited, post-script edited hundreds of years later they, they wrote into the story the resurrection of Jesus from the dead so it would fit the narrative that they wanted to tell. It would fit the story that they came up with. Here's the problem with that, and here's what historians have wrestled with, because the truth is this. The very first Christians who believed in the resurrection, and we have the earliest known documentation of the New Testament letters and writings, which include the belief in Jesus' resurrection from the dead date all the way back to just 15 years after it happened. 15 years. That means they had already believed this long before it was written down and put into code and put into paper and sent around to other people. That means this was already an established thing that people said, he's alive, he's risen from the dead. Here's what this means, okay? The most unlikely people in the world, the Jewish people, monotheistic, they knew they couldn't worship idols, they knew that, hey, we can't worship a man as though he's God. That means the most unlikely people in the world, it wouldn't be uncommon for a Roman to believe that a man was divine. That's what they did with all the Caesars. They worshiped them as gods, but for the Jews to believe that a man was God was blasphemy. And for them, Hundreds and thousands of them in, in, in just mass groupings from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political situations, strict Jewish adherents of the Pharisees, Roman centurions, Jewish fishermen, tax collectors, the rich, the poor, male, female, young and old, in different locations, from different backgrounds, think about this. They all immediately changed what they believed into a whole new category of belief. A category of belief that had never before been conceived of by humans, that had no similarity or precedent in human history, that was socially and culturally dangerous, strange and unpopular, and that flew in the face of human reason. 
Friends, Christianity was not a code of ethics to make people better people. The reason Christianity ended up sweeping the Roman Empire, jumping over every cultural and language barrier known to man, the reason it went to the ends of the earth is not because it was a code for people to clean up their act and get a little better. It's because it was the good news of the gospel that said you're dead and there's an option, an opportunity, a way into life through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to account for the largest mass movement in human history that started with the people that would be most resistant to believing it that had never before, that had never before been conceived of by humanity that God would become a man and die for the sins of the world. That was a revolutionary new idea, never been thought of before. There's no way, say historians or any honest historian, that all of them would change their mind overnight and fully believe and be willing to die for it unless they saw something. Unless they saw him. Which Paul says, I have seen him. We have seen him. Numerous occasions, he goes, go ask them about it. They saw him too. He showed up in the upper room. He showed up by the seashore. He walked with them on the road to Emmaus over and over again. We see Jesus showing up to people, to doubting Thomas, saying, Thomas, put your finger in the holes in my hand. Look, I'm the one. It's really me, Thomas. Because Thomas, just like you and me, would say, I can't believe it until I see it. Friends, Christianity has true reasons, rational reasons to believe, but in my mind, the most important and powerful reason that you should believe, that I believe, is the experience of God's resurrection power in your own life. The experience of new life. The experience of not just a fresh start, but the life of God in your soul, transforming you and changing you, helping you to live a new life, helping you to walk in the power, by the power of the Spirit, to change the things about you that you're most ashamed of. Philippians 3.10, Paul writes this, he says, I wanna know that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in you. I wanna know it, says Paul, that I may share in his sufferings. That means even though I suffer in this life and I face pain in this life, it means this, God will redeem it just like he redeemed Christ. Paul says, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may experience a resurrection of the dead. Here's what I know to be true. On Friday night, we had a good Friday service and at the front of this room, we had hundreds of candles laid out. And I gave an invitation to everybody who was there. I said, hey, as we close our time tonight, I wanna invite anyone in the room who's experienced a loss this year, who's in the midst of a storm, who's faced some sort of suffering or pain or knows someone who is, I wanna invite you down to light a candle and to say a prayer on your behalf and on their behalf. In those moments as a pastor, you're never really sure, are people gonna come down? How's this gonna be received? I know it can be a little awkward for people to get up and come down front. Almost instantly, everybody in the room got up and came forward and this is what happened on Friday night. 
every candle got lit except for three. And as people came down and they lit the candles, what it represented, what it reminded me of is simply this. We're all going through it at some level or we know someone who is. We live in a world that is tainted by the brokenness of sin and death. And what these candles represent is not just the fact that there is pain and sorrow and suffering in the world. What they represent is that the light and the life of Christ, just like Paul said, the light and the life of Christ is willing and able to enter in to the deepest, darkest pain and the deepest, darkest suffering that we experience and to bring the new life of Christ, the hope of Christ, the joy of the resurrection, the peace of forgiveness, all the things that we most desperately need and long for, he can provide and we don't have to wait to the end of our life to get it when we face death personally, but he's entered into the middle of our mess, the middle of our story. It's available to you now. That's the message of Easter, amen? Friends, here's what the experience of, of Easter is all about. Not just the evidence, not just the reasons to believe. You've gotta experience it for yourself. Here's what is so amazing about Jesus, about what we believe as Christians. The entire life of Jesus was one long example that God was willing to fully enter into the human experience. To walk with people that were facing loss and leprosy. To step into those who'd been situations where people had been lame their entire lives and to bring healing. To hold the face of a blind man and to heal his sight to open deaf ears, to deliver those who are oppressed by demons. Jesus himself walked into every form of human suffering imaginable. He fully embraced the human experience all the way to the point of death on a cross. Why? So that everything you walk through, he can relate to. So that everything you can walk to, walk through, he can look at that situation and say, I get the final word here. It's not over yet. There's hope for you here. The resurrection of Jesus is available to you here. And now you don't have to wait. You can receive it as a free gift of grace. And yes, the gift may be free, but it was the most expensive gift ever cost his life. But friends, the work has been done. He rose from the dead. He opened the prison doors of death. He sentenced death to death. He walked out and he said, look, you're all gonna face it one day. All of you are gonna face death one day. And the, the word of Christ to you and to me in this moment is when you get there, you wanna be with the only person, God himself, who faced death and walked out the other side. The one who said, I've opened the door, come with me. That's what Easter is about. And friends, right now, you have a choice. You can look at the evidence. You can look at your own life and what you need and where you're at. But the free gift of salvation, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can enter your heart and your life by faith now. That's why Christ had to go to the cross. That's why he had to live a perfect life so that your relationship with God could be restored. And friends, I'm gonna invite you 
to pray with me. And I'm gonna ask for every head in this room to be bowed, every eye closed, because this is a sacred moment. Romans, the word of God that Paul wrote said, look, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, that he is Lord, then you will be saved. So I wanna pray with you right now, and if you wanna pray with me a prayer of salvation, for healing, for forgiveness, for the life of Christ to enter your life. I want you to pray with me. I'm gonna lead you, but they have to be your words. I want you to pray something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Lord, I admit that I've fallen short, that I've sinned. Lord, I admit that I've turned away from you. Say to him in your heart, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins. That your death pays for my sin completely. In your heart, say to him, I believe you rose from the dead so that I could have new life. And just right now in your own soul, I want to encourage you just to receive the presence of God, the Holy Spirit into your life right now. And whether you feel anything or not, there is faith and assurance that you can believe that what God has done for you is final and it's true. He's alive and he's here. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. I just would like to know if you prayed that prayer, would you please just shoot your hand up in the air for me so I can see. Thank you. Friends, I want to encourage you today, please don't leave without taking a step. Fill out that Connect card, turn it in. We got a gift for you. We want to help you in this journey of faith. You can't walk it alone. The most important thing you can do in this moment and moving forward is say, I want to learn what it means to follow Jesus because you're going to face pain, you're going to face struggles, you're going to face trials, and you need a community around you to help you on that journey. Amen. Friends, we're gonna close our time right now by standing to our feet, by singing one last anthem and declaration of Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Let's sing this with all of our hearts and let's lean in with all we have in celebration of Easter. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.